extremely excited about this sermon. I've never been excited about another one ever before, so you can tell. Okay? All right. Now, what I want you to do is, is the beginning of the year, can you go just a little bit down, a little bit up with the house lights? You don't have to go down on me, but go up with on them. Yeah, so I can see eyes. I love eyes. Okay? So what happens, so what happens is at the beginning of the year, which is the beginning of September, God started talking to us about something, and I want you to see how it's been the same thing in different ways because he's trying to do something. So the very first one was, that, that was a 9-3, God loves us with a first love. Now, if you want to know what that means, it means this, okay? Now, I, I want to say, I think I should be commended for my admirable restraint on not using a Piper illustration in every sermon and not posting every single 20 minutes on, because that's what I want to do. This is only the second time I've mentioned my new granddaughter in church, okay? And I would mention her more, okay? But I'm trying not to be that guy, okay? But that's, that, I look at that picture, and I'm sure that that's the best photo of any human being in the history of the world, okay? Right there. So having said that, what God was doing was he was saying that first love, Kurt, that you felt, that we've all felt that first love is what God feels all the time for us because he stands outside of time. So he's literally experiencing that moment every moment. That's how he feels about you. That's why all this other stuff, sin and all that kind of stuff is just something else because it's first love for him for you. Got it? So that's the first thing. And now, even in that sermon, one of the things I said was I said, what's the point of that? He's trying to get us to trust him. He wants us to know how much he loves us because he's trying to get us to trust him. Now, the second sermon came, and it was pray. And, and I felt like what God was saying was, is there are things I want you to feel my heart for how the world is. You have your own ideas, you have your own everything else, but I want you to enter into how I feel about this. I want you to feel what I feel, not just for you, first love, but for the world. See that? So he wanted us to feel this thing and to know he's in control and he's asking us to pray his will that his will would be done. Okay? All right? Then on week three... Trust him so much you have his peace no matter what happens. Now, if you remember, if you were here, that was the, that was the um, a triumphal entry. And what we did is we took a simple thing about Jesus knowing that there would be a donkey there, and we started unpacking it so that no one's ever ridden on it, what that means, to this, to this. And we started seeing layer after layer after layer after layer after layer after layer of how God was in control of that moment so magnificently. And that that would be something that to the disciples who were about to see him die, even though they didn't expect it, suddenly they would see him die. He told them it was going to happen, but they didn't get it. And that all of a sudden they would be able to look back at those things and they would be able to say, oh, he had this. So I can trust him. Even though he died, I can trust him. See it? Because he was in control of everything at that moment. He was that sacrifice. And he made it clear right then in that moment. So trust again. And then Kevin last week, I just love what he did. What he was saying was, is, look, what we think is, yeah, you know, but God's not really for me completely because I'm not really for him because of all this sin. All these things that I do that aren't right. 
And what Kevin said was, is Jesus is the one who is walking back into that room of stuff with you. He's the one who's got his arm around you. He's the one who's taking them off the wall with you, taking them outside, and then watching them be destroyed by what he had done for you. So once again, it was saying, trust him. Even if you're a screw-up, trust him. He's got you, right? So if we had to look at all of those things, the, the thing that I think he's been saying since the very beginning of this year has been bringing home in deep ways, and will again today, even more so, he's been saying this. He's trying to get us to actually and truly trust him. Now, I want to say something. Whenever Jesus is trying to do something, it's not just for the heck of it. <laughs> it's actually because there's going to be a reason why you need it. And if you enter into it, then you will be prepared for it, and you will be there and good, and, and I'm not saying everything will go wonderfully and so on, but what I am saying is, is you'll be where he wants you to be in it. If we don't do that, then it's a very, very different equation all of a sudden, isn't it? Now, he can hold you, but, 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 okay? So I just want you to get that, but here's what I really want us to, to do here, okay? We often talk about what would cause us to not trust him. What would happen in our lives? Look, if the, if the issue is he's trying to get us to trust him, what might be happening or have happened in your life that would cause him to not, that would cause you to not trust him? And I want to tell you really simply, this right here is the biggest one. Have you ever needed, pleaded, even begged God for something with everything you had, but it didn't happen? And so you're crushed. I begged you for my brother's life. I begged you for Randy Thompson's life. I begged you for. You see it? But you didn't do it. So you could say, and many, many, many people do, most people do, I'm going to trust him, but I got to reserve a little room. I got to reserve a little space because I can't trust him completely. Now, let's be clear about that. We know something from Scripture, right? We know this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose with him. What does that mean? It means that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose for him. What does that mean? It means that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that everything works for good. You see it? He's got you. There's nothing, not your sin, not your failure, not the world, not something getting over on top. Nothing, nothing bigger than him. He's actually working everything always, period, right? But here's the thing. See, I know that in my head, but if I have a hurt in my heart of a time that God didn't meet what I thought he needed to do, and it crushed me, you can know in your head everything that you're supposed to know, and we can do this funny little Christian schizophrenia where we'll hold on to what's true in our head, but we'll subvert it with another truth that's in our heart. It's with a lie that's in our heart. 
You see it? The head and the heart don't get lined up. So here's the deal. I actually, is there somebody in here that would be willing to be vulnerable and transparent enough to share with us a thing? I want us to, this is a feeling sermon. So I don't want to just talk because that's head, mostly. I want somebody to tell a story. Would anybody be willing to tell us a story of a time when you prayed with everything you had and you, you even thought that God was going to do it and then it just didn't happen? Anybody got one of those? Go ahead. Go ahead, Amber. You got to stand up. I got to stand up. Okay, fine. Is this even on? Okay, it is on. Hi. Um, so the thing that I begged and pleaded for was not nearly as deep as things that I know that other people have begged and pleaded for and not gotten. Um, I have begged and pleaded for my husband's life, um, and that was granted. Um, but last summer, I begged and pleaded God for a different house. And, uh, and we talked a lot about it, and God said, yeah, yeah, they're going to accept your offer. And I was like, yes, all right. So we moved forward, and they accepted our offer, and we put our house on the market in three weeks, and trust me, this is not a good idea. Um, but we did it anyway. Oh, five days. Five days. See, this is how well I remember it. Okay, anyway, so we had, you know, we turned our, we weren't planning on selling our house, and then we got it ready for the market in five days, and it was a disaster, and Isaac threw out his back, and lots of things happened. Um, but what didn't happen is, is the actual final sale of the house. We didn't sell our house in time to make the contingent offer, and we didn't get the house that I wanted. And I wanted it for all the right godly reasons. I wanted it because it was going to be big enough to have a small group in there. And it was going to have, you know, places for community and fellowship. And, um, and we were going to be right next door to this wonderful Christian family. And my children were going to grow up with Christian best friends right next door. And I had all these great, all these great godly reasons. Um, and it didn't happen. And I was so crashed because I was like, but God, you said that we're going to accept our offer. Like, I thought this was... I thought you said yes to this already. And, um, and I really had to struggle through that. And I finally, I finally, I was riding my bike home one day, because that's how I commute. And, and I finally just had to ask God this question. God, do you ever, do you ever not get what you want? And he kind of looked at me and said, oh, Amber. Every day. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I realized that I have this self-protective tendency to only go after what I think I can get. Not what God actually wants. Because I thought, if I don't get it, I was wrong for having wanted it. But that's a lie. God wants our hearts. And how often does he not get them? Amen. Amber, that is just terrific. Wait till you hear the sermon. <laughs> Wait till you hear the sermon. It's just amazing how perfectly that fits in. I'm wondering if there's one other person. Everybody can relate to that on some level, right? That just translates down to the deeper things, and it translates up to the higher things. I still remember praying for Randy Thompson and just feeling all kinds of things in the Lord and so on, and just begging him and pleading. And then, and I've seen many healings. So, but is there any, is there one more? 
before we go on, and do me a favor, and I, I should have said this before. I'm not saying it to you, but keep it short. I do have a sermon, okay? <laughs> All right, thanks. I wasn't saying that to you, Bill. That wasn't about anybody. I meant to say it earlier, and I'm just, I always got this clock ticking in my head. I'm the worst person in the world for that. And given that I'm late everywhere and I'm long on every sermon, you would think that isn't happening, but it is. Thanks, Bill. Stand up, would you? Pro okay, approximately 20 years ago, uh, we went through a really difficult time. Yeah. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, MS in 95. And um, just a lot of different things. I'll try and shorten it. So we had, uh, we got robbed. And everything that I had provided for for my wife, as far as intimacy of trips and things like that, got stolen. Uh, we lost our house during a time where uh, it was uh, financially very, very difficult, where I was only able to work maybe half days until I had, uh, we had almost had my office totally paid for and had to leverage everything back. So I was praying, but you know, it's like I didn't get healed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, things just kept falling apart. I had a person that I left in the office uh, embezzled and I lost a bunch of money there. I uh, was just so tired. I could just go to work and come home. Um, it was really interesting. Due to At the same time, there was another uh, chiropractor that came into the church. And in all of this situation, I wanted to bless him. And all this was happening, I knew it was to honor him. And during this time of all of these things happening, um, it was really funny. A lot of people that were really uh, close to me. Um, they, they la I, I lost a lot of relationships, the depth of them. I, I just was, we were hurt. And um, we actually left the church. And uh, I mean, we just, but, but getting to the good part of it is, uh, you know, the Lord was able to show me just to be able to matter whether things were bad or good was to pursue him and that intimacy with him and Amen. finding who he was in the Amen. midst of all this junk that was going on. Amen. And, um, you know, even walking, we were away from our kids. Uh, we didn't really tell people a lot of what had happened and just where we were at. We just, it was just trying to get solid with the Lord. Well, during this time, uh, we were able to see that he is Romans 8, 28. Amen. It all does work together for good. We had to learn to trust him even when things didn't look like we could trust him. Amen. Thank you, Bill. And the last thing I want to say is, this is a time I want to say it is, is that through all of this thing, there was so much that had to be done with spending on medical expenses and time for visits and doing all of these things that it just drained us. Well, we just continued to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord, and to trust in Him. And uh, about a month ago, uh, my MS specialist, who is the number one MS specialist in the Northwest, announced to me that there is no signs of the MS. Oh, anymore. praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise. I didn't know that, Bill. That is the best. We, let's go home, okay? Right? God works. That's just phenomenal, Bill. That is wonderful. Okay.
So we get it, right? This is something that is common to all. People say that person has led a charm life. They don't. You know, I have this weird thing that goes off in my head. I almost hesitate to even say this, but you know me. If I hesitate to say it, I'll say it anyway. Not a good plan, by the way. But I'll watch people that a lot of times have a lot of money and position and so on. And if you'll look at their families, almost every time they've lost a person of their family, a child or a spouse or something like that, almost every time. I haven't. Now, just lately I lost my brothers, but we were 60, so that's different. I'm talking about, you know, a kid or a child or something like that at a prime of life type thing. It's just devastating. And I just really feel like if you take everything good and bad in people's lives, I get that there's still some flux, but it's a lot less than the, like some people really got it bad, some people really got it good. And I know some people in here thinking, I really got it bad and you don't know. And I get that. Some people really do have tough things. But I'm just telling you, there's something about an evening a thing that God does somehow that just has us more in a position of like than difference. Okay? Again, with a spread, I get that. But having said that, I want us to do something again, and this is, we're going to be doing reveal here in just a couple of weeks. Thanks. We're going to be doing reveal in just a couple of weeks, and this is that $2 million study that was done by uh, Willow Creek Church, and what they wanted to know was what makes people grow. They want to know what makes people grow. And what they discovered was, is the problem wasn't that people grow, it was that they get stuck. That what they really discovered was, is what makes people stop growing. It's things like this. You prayed for something, and it devastates, and they stop. They get stuck. And, and what they figured out was, is until you get that person unstuck on that thing, they don't grow across the board. They might have a little bit of progress in a few areas, but that thing will hold them back. So what we're trying to do today is get rid of what holds us back from growing in him, which is to say what he's been saying the whole service today, trusting him, trusting him, truly trusting him. So with that in mind, I know that this is a long intro. It's a short sermon. I say that these days. It happens, okay? <laughs> Michelle, would you pray for us? Thank you. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone that you have drawn here today and everyone watching online as well. I trust that you have brought the right people at the right time and that you have something to say. You have something specific to say Amen. to each person Amen. here, each person listening, each person listening throughout the week. So, Father, I pray that you would open spiritual eyes, that you would open spiritual ears, that you would unlock our hearts, make them soft. And I pray that you would pour out an extra measure of faith to each one that we might hear what you have to say, that we might receive it, Amen. that we might let it go deep, go deep inside us, that we would meditate on it to, to get the truth and that we would hold on to that truth and not let it be stolen from us. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray for Burnett Chapel in Antioch, Tennessee. Amen. Very tragic and very close to home. So I pray for the people there. I pray Thank for the community Jesus. to just rise up and you, um, surround them. I pray for healing. I pray for forgiveness. And I pray that your name, the name of Jesus, would be glorified through it all. 
because you do work everything together for good. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's great. Thank you for praying for that. Thank you. Now, so remember what we're doing here. What we're doing is, is we're going after a heart thing today. Because so often the thing that is holding us back, that's got us anchored, turns out not to be an intellectual thing at all. It turns out to be a heart thing. And until you can trust with your heart, you don't trust. Okay? So, the scripture that we're in is Luke. As Jesus' is triumphal entry, as he approached and saw Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? Remember, we just prayed for peace of Jerusalem. He's saying, it's me. But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of your salvation. Now understand something. He's, it's about 33 A.D. when he prays this. And in 70 A.D., which is 37 years, which is three years shy of a generation, and that's important because what God did was, even after Jesus was crucified, killed essentially by the people that rejected him, right? Even though those people rejected him, God still gave them almost a full generation to realize that they'd made a mistake and repent. And had they, Jerusalem would not have fallen. So God gave 37 years for people to get it, to watch what was happening, to see people be healed, not just by Jesus, but by disciples, and to see the gospel spreading and hear the good news of grace and so on. But people did not get it. And so this is Passover where we are right now. And at Passover, that's one of those three holidays a year that the whole nation of Israel comes. And not everybody actually comes to everyone. But it still swells a city that is somewhere around 100 to 200,000 in a normal time, up to over a million people. And 37 years from now, there's going to be about 1.1 million people in Jerusalem. And by the time Rome is done with them, there'll be 100,000 alive. And it, by the way, it's not Rome that kills them. It's themselves. They'll go crazy inside the city and they'll murder each other and wipe each other out. So with that in mind, now that's not our sermon, right? Okay? That's more Jeremiah. <laughs> okay? But the thing I want you to see, I want you to watch this. As he approached and saw Jerusalem, he wept over it. That's the thing I want you to see. I want you to see the heart that he has for it. If you're reading Jeremiah, you're not hearing, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. You're hearing, please don't, please don't, please don't. Don't you know that this is going to happen? If you keep doing this, we're going to about to go into Lamentations in our soap readings. When we go into Lamentation, it's going to get big time where you will hear God literally begging them, pleading with them, weeping for them to repent. Okay? So this is God's heart. His heart is to do this. Now understand, I need you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes as he sits on that Mount of Olives, essentially at this point, looking across over Jerusalem. As he sits in that place, I want you to just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Remember some things about him. First of all, who is he? Yes, he's a man born of a woman, but he's also what? God. And as God, John tells us, in the beginning, the word Jesus already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Now, here's what that means. It means that Jesus was the instrument through whom, the word through whom, when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus that was making the light. When he said, let there be firmaments, it was Jesus. So Jesus created the whole of the heavens and the earth, materially. 
But it wasn't just the material thing that he created. It was then Jesus, Lord God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostril, and the man became a living being. He is the creator of all of us. But he's not just the creator of us as in moss. He's the one who makes all the delicate inward parts of my body, knits me together in my mother's womb, which is a physical way of saying, I know you. I didn't just create Adam and Eve and then everything ran from there. I'm involved in you being knit together in your mother's womb in every part of you. The most delicate inward parts, not just organs, but your heart. I'm right there with you. You're not, it's not just that he created each one of us. He then, in all the people that he created, he picked a certain people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the line. Abraham first. You are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of the peoples on the face of the earth. So God has made the whole of the heavens and the earth. He's made all of mankind. He's deeply and intimately involved in every person's life. And then he chose a particular people in order to reveal himself to the whole of the world. So do you see the, the, the drilling down to ever more intimate places that God is going with this Jesus when he's looking over Jerusalem? And remember about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the sea that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often Jesus says, have I wanted to gather together your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. Do you see the imagery here? How precious is this? This is that, that mother hen just gathering her chicks and bringing them under her wing to protect them. I mean, this is the most tender imagery that you can imagine. This is dad with the baby, mom with the baby. This is a mom figure here, right? That mother's love too. But then understand, it's not just that. It goes even deeper because he says, I will make my home among them. I will be their God. They will be my people when my temple is among them. Now, in the first instance, we understand what this means is, is God said, in all of the earth that I created and all the people that I created, there was some that I chose, and then I chose a particular place, and I gave it to them. And in, that, in a particular place, in that particular place, I put a city, and inside that city, I put a temple. And I was in that temple, as we saw when they dedicated it, and all the priests fell because the presence of the Lord inhabited it. And he's saying, I wanted to be with you. And I was being with you. Now we understand, ultimately, as Kevin pointed out last week, that's him in us. We're that temple, right? And, by the way, it's not just individually the temple, it's us Jesus is in. But the nations will know that I'm the Lord, it makes Israel holy. So, so just, okay, now, put yourself in his shoes. You're standing there. You're looking out over Jerusalem. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're the creator of all mankind. You're the, creator of a, you're the one who chose a particular people. You're the one who loves this particular people. You're the one who has made your home with them. And now you are coming to them. And the response on their part is going to be, that. Can I say, why didn't, why wasn't Jesus mad up there on that hill? 
He's saying it. Oh, if you only knew what brings your peace. But, but why doesn't he have every right to stand up there and just be angry that this is their response? He has every right to do that, doesn't he? Massively so. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what he's doing is, if you only knew this day, what would bring your peace? And even now, and even 37 years, I'm going to give you to repent, to come back to me. You see it? Here's what's being said. Jesus is over and over and over and over, as we're seeing in Jeremiah, as we've seen throughout the Holy Old Testament. He is praying that the people would repent, that they would come back to him. He's praying that they would get with, right with God. This is something that he's been pleading for as we've been reading for now months in soap. And now we get right to what Amber said. It was just perfect. Because here's what I want you to understand. When I was praying about this sermon and what God wanted to say, and he was telling me what it was, this is what he brought home to me about this story. There's many other things in it, but this is what he wanted us to hear. Jesus wanted something to happen very, very badly, but it did not. It didn't happen. Huh? Jesus is God. He's in control. He's sovereign. What do you mean? You know what? This actually magnifies this is not going to be the first time in a space of less than a week that Jesus is going to have something that he really wanted to happen, not. Because you do remember that what happens the night before he's betrayed and arrested, the day before he's killed, Jesus went with them to the Olive Garden called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Now, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. Now, listen, you really got to hear the language here to know what state he was in. He became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and help me raise my hands. You know, Moses, right? That, uh, when, he, when the hands are up, the battle's being won. When the hands start to drop, he loses, but he can't hold his hands up. So he needs his friends to come around to lift his hands to keep him in victory. And then he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, listen to the prayer. Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet... I want your will to be done, not mine. Here's what's being said. There are two wills happening here. There's Jesus the man, and there's God. And God has a plan, and Jesus is the executor of that plan. And Jesus knows that he's the one that executes that plan. But even then, he is at this moment crushed. In fact, the way that, it will say this, this is before he goes back now. This is Luke's telling of this later. Before he goes back and wakes him up, because they went to sleep. Listen to how it's described. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Do you think he was praying for something important? Do you think he was praying for something he really, really wanted? 
Do you think he was praying for something that was so in anguish in him that it was breaking him out in a sweat? Have you ever prayed for something so vehemently that you broke out in a sweat? You might have felt like you might do that, but has that actually ever happened? Now understand, here's what he's praying not happen. He's about to go to that cross. He's not worried about the fact that he's going to be beaten and all that. He's not looking forward to it. But that's not what brings him to this kind of anguish. What brings him to this kind of anguish is that he's about to be put on that cross, and there will be a moment when he becomes our sin, and that will separate him from God. And he will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who has been eternally one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Father and the Holy Spirit will be in some inexplicable way that we do not understand, separated from him, and we don't know how long or what the nature of it was. We don't know anything about it, but what we do know is this. He couldn't take it, and he didn't want it. As a person, he didn't want it. Now, he did want God's will more than his own. So he's praying through how to get to God's will, not his. See it? But let's be clear about something. He's nonetheless wanting something badly. And it's all the more disappointing that when he comes and he sees his friends who are supposed to be raising his hands, he returns and finds them asleep and he says, couldn't you watch with me even an hour? Keep watching, pray, so you'll not give in to temptation. What's he dealing with? Temptation. Do this your way, not God's. See? You got to hang in there. You got to pray. You got to go after this. For the spirit's willing, but the body's weak. Is that, that's describing him. See? I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to do it. And what he's praying for now with all of his heart, with everything that is in him, he's praying that this cup would pass from him, that he would not have this moment of existential separation from him who has been eternally one with. He is praying for that. He is wanting something, as we've already said, something very, very, very badly this time. But it did not happen. You see it? Why is that important? Because God tells us that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And here's what I want you to do. If you're somebody who's in a situation that you are praying with everything you've got, and then it goes badly, and this has wrecked you, this has hurt you, this has created something inside of you that is in pain, here's what I want you to understand right now today. Here's what God's trying to get you to understand. I know your pain personally. I, too, wanted something very, very, very badly. Not just one thing, more than one thing. And they did not happen. And I understand the theology of God works all things together for good, but the theology doesn't calm my heart. But does it calm your heart that Jesus knows that? Does it calm your heart that in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of what's holding you back, that Jesus knows what you've experienced, that he's experienced it too? 
you never think of Jesus having not gotten his way. That's why I love what you said, Amber. And thank God for your healing, Bill. Because it shows us the fullness of it. But here's the point we're trying to get to today. We're not trying to get to the head and say, it's going to be okay. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get to the heart and say, Jesus knows and he's right there with you. This is not an abstract thing for him. This is something he knows deeply. He'll show you how to not sin in it. He'll show you how to not get off base. He'll show you how to not do your own will. He'll show you how to get through all of it and everything else. But that's not what this sermon's about. This sermon is about you prayed for something with all your heart, and it didn't happen, and I know that pain. I know it. And I want to be there with you in it. You see it? God wants every person here today to feel down deep in their bones that he knows precisely, intimately, deeply what it is to need, plead, and beg for something with everything you've got, but it doesn't happen. He wants to bring us to an even deeper place of peace, trust, and love. Now, isn't it funny? You don't have to know what the result is. You don't have to have it turn good. But when you know he suffered it, and that he suffers with you, and that you can attach yourself and be with him in it, that brings you peace and trust, doesn't it? And that makes you love him. You're not just a God who created us and that was judging us. You're a God who's created us and knows every single aspect of everything that we're going through. And we can come to you in our deepest, way past sin, for heaven's sakes. We can come to you with the deepest hurts that we have. I've told before, and I'm going to say again, I'm only going to do it briefly, though, and, and Heather Foreman, if you're watching, one day we'll have to go out to dinner, and I'll tell you all the details more, but uh, at one point in time, we were rich, and then because of something inside of me, I wanted God to have everything. I, what I didn't want to have was say that I trusted God with everything I have and have a nest egg as a privileged kid as a privileged young man, as a privileged man. I didn't, I knew that this stuff wasn't real. I wasn't real. And I just needed to be all in with God. And so I got all in with God and I started selling assets and sticking all my eggs in one basket. What's the old saying? Don't do that. And may I say something, having done that, don't do that. Okay, it's a bad plan, but I did it, and I did it for a God reason, and the God reason was is I knew of no other way to make genuine what was in my heart, which is the only thing I wanted was God, and then he took everything, and then I realized I did like money too. <laughs> it was nice to have that, right? The trips were fun. But I want to say something. 
we're now sitting here. There was a time in our lives where we were so depressed going, you know, this change was quite sudden. It was literally, it took a week to go from wealthy and looking at a very expensive house in a very nice neighborhood to being dirt poor. Absolutely nothing to our name poor. And it took just days. And then within a month or two, we were moved out to Virginia Beach to go to seminary. And, and when we first got there for a week, I'd say we were probably sleeping 17 hours a day, and that was just about as much sleep as we needed in a day. That's how hard it was emotionally. We needed that just to stay sane. That's how tough it was. It was devastating. But I'm going to say something here, which I've said before, and I asked Julie, and she's given me permission to say it. But I want to say something I just want to tell you, and I've told you before, there's just something in me that it never occurred to me that God was doing anything bad or that he had somehow failed. To the contrary, I didn't like what was happening. And I wasn't entirely certain what was going to happen. But the one thing that I knew was is that God is all-powerful and he is completely good and that everything that he was doing in me was good. That no matter how difficult this was, it was good. Not just good, it was great. Not just great, it was what I'd asked for. And he was giving me what I wanted. And it, sure enough, it was tough. Not, this is tough as in change your life tough. Anybody know that to really change your life for real is tough? Because you get pretty comfortable in where you were. It's tough. But I never once, to this day, I don't have any thought in me whatsoever about God let me down or God disappointed me or God didn't do something he should have done. It has never, that thought, that heart, that thing never, ever crosses my mind. And let me say, that was 30 years ago. And to this day, we still have significant negative, harmful effects from that that are still happening in our lives. So this isn't something that just lasted for a season and then went away. It still is with us right now. Now, the reason why I'm telling you how I reacted is because I want to tell you what I think is the more common reaction. And the person that I'm going to talk about is anything but common. Julie is the better human being than I am, and everybody knows that, including me, especially me. <coughs> Julie is the most outstanding human being I've ever met in my life, for reals. That's how I feel about her. But I want to tell you that she was the passive passenger in a train that I drove off a bridge. And when it hit the bottom, having prayed deeply for it, she just shut down. And she said, there's something wrong with me that I didn't know what he was actually saying. And... And either way, it wasn't, she didn't really blame God, but she did feel like he'd let her down. He felt like, particularly given how godly, the godly basis of all of our choices was. It was nothing but God the whole time. And all of a sudden, here she is, living in a little hotel room and trying to get an apartment in a very different kind of place than we'd ever lived before. And her whole world had changed, and it was just, she just shut down. 
Now, a year later, I, could, I couldn't say anything to her because I'm the one that caused it. But then a year later, I was able to come to her and I was able to say, honey, I'm, the one, I'm not the right person for this or anything else, but I need you. And if you don't believe me, just look at what I did. I need you. I didn't rely on you enough. We wouldn't have done what, what I did if it would have been for her. But the bottom line was, as I said, I need you. And I need you to come back. And it wasn't me that she was particularly mad at. No, that's not true. She was incredibly mad at me. But, but she loved me. You know what I mean? I mean, she really loved me. And she wasn't going anywhere. She never threatened divorce. Or she never, got, she never yelled at me or did anything like that. But she was just crushed. And she just wasn't trusting anybody or anything. She was walling herself off. And I said, I just can't have you wall yourself off anymore. I need you. We need you. The kids need you. I need you to come back in and start to do this. And because she is the most amazing woman ever, she just bucked up and started doing it. She just said, you're right, and started crawling out of the hole. But I'm going to say something. At this point in time, you, you know, I've still drugged Julie all over the country, and she still had to make all kinds of decisions that she was nervous about and everything else. And we do make decisions very differently now than we did then. And the, but the fact of the matter is Julie has trusted God amazingly, amazingly. But if you were to really sit down and have a really deep chat with her, you would find out <coughs> that there's still a hurt in there that holds on to something in her. And that's what I want to break today. Not just hers, but every person in here that is holding on to anything so, or maybe the other way to put it is something's got to hold on them. We want to break its hold. And so what we're going to do is you saw in your chairs that there were these rocks. These are the perfect kind of rocks to make a memorial. You're not supposed to get a, you're not supposed to shape them or carve them or do anything else. They're supposed to be just natural. And then you just pile them up. Now here's what you do with stones of memorial. The stone means one thing. The memorial means something different. Here's what I want this stone to mean. The reason why you have two is because most people have more than one thing that happened. The reason why there's more up here is because if you feel like, you know what, I got 20, but maybe three would be enough to stand in for the three I really care about and stand in for the rest of them. So you don't have to take every single hurt, but I do want you to take the big ones. And I got more than one stone because I don't want it to be just one thing. I want it to be, this is that thing. Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. This is that thing which disappointed me, which killed me. And I want you to think about it. And I want to let, you, I'll let the Holy Spirit come in there. Let the Holy Spirit tell you how you really feel about it. Because most of us are good schizophrenic Christians. We've learned how to cover that over and hide it. Not even know it. You see it? So what I want you to do is I want you to take on this, on this rock, let the Holy Spirit show you a thing that's still got a hold on you. And then here's what you're going to do with it. You're going to get rid of it. When you're done, there'll be some music playing. When you're done, you're going to come up here and build an altar right here. And I want you to stack them on top of each other. I've been told the floor might crash. If it does, praise God. Okay? But what I want you to do is I want you to bring it up here, and I want you to just prayerfully take and put a stone for each one of those things, again, understanding that if you have a lot of them, that maybe three or four stones would stand in for the rest, okay? But I want it to be very specific. 
I am giving this away because the memorial that we're building is that God knows. We're not putting it up here to remember this moment. We're putting up, we're getting rid of the moment by giving it to the God who knows. Because as we've said, as I said here, what he wants us to do, what I think he's been doing from September until this very moment in spades is this. He wants us to cast ourselves on him. This is what I think he's trying to get the entire world to do. Our prophetic word had to do with that. This moment, everything has to do with that that we're doing right now. Cast your cares on him, not just your cares. Cast yourself on him. And that's what we're doing. So just as I've said, build a memorial to him who knows intimately. I can trust you because you know. You got this. You know. We all get it? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you right now as a congregation, as a family, as members, as people that love one another, and we recognize that this is a holy moment, a take-off-your-shoes-and-stand-before-the-Lord moment, where what we are doing is we're letting you take something and get rid of it. Take it from us, just like you did last week, only in an entirely different space right now. And that space is that this hurt would never again have us. That this hurt would be completely taken and given to the one who has it. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, let this be a holy moment, a separated moment, a healing moment. Thank you, Lord. When you're done putting your stone up here, you'll see there's no communion in your seats. What I want you to do is there's communion all over up here, and I want you to just grab a hold of some. I'm just trying to make it a little bigger space. I want you to just take a cup. That body represents the thing that was broken, and when we take it, we understand that Jesus is the one that heals broken. And then I want you to take that cup yourself when you're ready with the Lord. And what I want you to say when you're taking that cup is, this is the new freedom that he wants me to walk in. This is the new life that he wants me to walk in. Got it? Do we understand? When you're done, thank you for heading outside. We got a lunch going on. It's going to be lots of fun. We're not doing anything else. Technically, we're done right now. But don't leave here without doing this, please. Let's build a memorial to him who knows. Get rid of the stuff.